Today's podcast is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Whatever you're wearing right now, Mack Weldon is better. Mack Weldon is a men's essentials brand Ooh. that believes in smart design, yes. premium fabrics, mm. and a simple shopping experience. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. Get that odor out of here. They want you to be comfortable. Yes. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it. That's right. Because they do not want your used underwear. And no they one will does. still refund you. No questions asked. No questions about that underwear coming back. So go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code binge mode. Warning. Binge mode contains adult content. The movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe aren't really that risque, but they do contain a character by the name of Bruce Banner who transforms into a 13-foot raging muscle-bound green Hulk, and somehow his pants stay intact. How does that happen? Discussions of that may veer into adult content territory. So if you're not down with that, check out One Shining Podcast. One more warning. Binge Mode contains spoilers. Meep, meep, meep. So if you have not watched all 17, 17! <laughs> of the MCU films ah. that are currently out there, please proceed with as much caution as a hammer wielder would around Hella. And now, Binge Mode. Jarvis. Welcome, Holmes. I am Iron Man. You think you're the only superhero in the world? Mr. Stark, you've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Who the hell are you? Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Huh. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Welcome to Binge Mode. Yes. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Oh, it's a good website. What a website, guys. Joining me today. Yeah. Now that he's finished kissing his former love interest, great niece. Let's not explore that too deeply. It's frozen in the ice for a long time. It's a Ringer staff writer. Yes. Your maester, Jason Concepcion. Wow, the internet, guys. Look at how much things have changed. Mal, as I keep telling Sharon, Peggy wouldn't mind. Sure. World War II is a long time ago. I promise. But before we get into any Carter family drama, some quick reminders. Every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we'll be diving deep into the topic that's obsessing us at the moment. And this spring, we'll be diving into Binge Mode Harry Potter. Dum, yes. bum, bum. You'll be able to find both Weekly and Harry Potter on the same feed. So stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us, yes. guys, especially if you're feeling like you have a five-star review in you Ooh. or a rating or whatever five stars are. Ratings, reviews. Yes. All of those. Give five the, stars. We would like all five of the stars. And please follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore teen Groot absolutely swears by our feed when he's not swears cleaning up his it. room. Constantly retweeting us. Yes. He's, I am Groot. Retweet. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. Retweet. And before we get to the podcast, lots of great stuff on TheRinger.com this week. Check out The Evolution of Marvel's Black Panther by Micah Peters, my office roommate. A great article by a great man. And The Damage Girl podcast, where Justin Charity and Cameron Collins discuss the Obama portraits and the New York Times ongoing op-ed problems. On today's Binge Mode Weekly, we are discussing the evolving Marvel Cinematic Universe as we prepare for Black Panther to hit theaters this week. Next week, we're going to actually be talking about Black Panther itself after we see it. Mm. And again, just to reiterate, spoiler warning for today's binge mode, as always, we will be going deep on details from all three phases of the MCU. So put Star-Lord's mixtape on pause. Yeah. Because it's time to dive deep into the evolution of Marvel's film formula. Jason, what's going on here? Yeah, let's face it. This isn't the worst thing you've caught me doing. But before we get to today's big idea, let's offer up a very brief refresher on what films actually constitute the MCU. Mm. 17 films. And counting. Man, by taking a quick Jarvis-aided trip down our very own King's Road. Starting with phase one, which lasted from 2008 to 2012, starting with Iron Man, the film that started it all. 2008, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, then The Incredible Hulk. 
Remember the Incredible Hulk guys? Nobody really remembers the Incredible Hulk from 2008 with Ed Norton as Bruce Banner. Iron Man 2, not that great a movie, but we got to see Anthony Stark's suitcase suit, which is really awesome. Thor, 2011, directed by Kenneth Branagh, guys. Wow. Captain America, the first Avenger. For me, my favorite origin movie of any of the Marvel movies. Mm. And The Avengers, 2012. Marvel's The Avengers, the movie that basically proved that this extended universe was a thing that could happen. And then we hit phase two, which spans 2013 to 2015. And the films in phase two, for your recollection, mm. are Iron Man 3, directed 2013. Thor The Dark World, also 2013, and I might be the only person alive who likes that movie. Please rep for Thor The Dark World shortly right now. I don't it's like, I mean, it's not love good. that movie, but, but for me, it is emblematic of my more general all superhero movies, all comic book movies are kind of fun, yeah. even when they're awful. It is pretty fun. I mean, the, fun. I, I will say this. For me, there's never been a truly awful Right. Marvel movie. Exactly. After that, we get to one of the best ones. Yeah. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, 2014, prominently featuring one of my truest loves, Ooh. Bucky Barnes. Handsome. That's my favorite MCU movie. And then the shocking smash hit Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014, uh, starring Groot and Star-Lord's abs. <laughs> Next... Avengers Age of Ultron 2015, one of the the letdowns, one of the letdowns in the MCU. And then another stunning success, Ant-Man 2015, featuring Liz Kelly's least favorite actor. It's true. What a hot take from Liz Kelly spoken one day randomly on the lot. Phase three, 2016, (laughs) 2019, we are in the midst of phase three right now. The phase kicked off with Captain America Civil War 2016, our heroes torn apart by the Sokovia Accords. Doctor Strange, 2016. Doctor Strange is okay. Here's a critique of Doctor Strange. The most interesting character was the cape. I thought you were going to say, here's a critique of Doctor Strange. Micah picked Doctor Strange in the first round of the superhero draft. Still, Mallory Rubin still flexing off her dominant performance on the superhero draft. Come at me, Dobbins. Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Not a favorite of Rachel Nichols of the jump. Rachel Nichols of The Jump recently tweeted at us that she was not a fan of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Was willing to concede, though, that she likes the music. Well, I mean, it's kind of hard. That's like... Hard not to. Hard not to hard like, not the to like the music. Teen Groot. Love Teen Groot. Baby Groot. I love Baby Groot. Extremely cute. Love Baby Groot. Spider-Man Homecoming. Look at this. Sony's IP, Spider-Man, now back home where he belongs with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Then Thor Ragnarok. Really, like, so funny, it almost took away from the movie. That's my take on Thor Ragnarok. And then, of course, Black Panther coming out this week. That moves us to Avengers Infinity War upcoming, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, and Avengers 4, all TBD. Mal. Yeah. Kneel before me. I said, Neil, (laughs) is not this simpler? Is this not your natural state? (laughs) Is the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation? The bright lure of freedom? (laughs) Diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. My God. And that gets us to this episode's <laughs> big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by stinging with the pointy end of Loki's scepter, which is a Chitauri invention containing a infinity stone. The defining theme of this episode of Binge Mode Weekly is the evolution of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's superhero formula. What keeps moviegoers wanting to kneel to Marvel? That's right. What allows the MCU to continue to rule the way that Loki so desperately scrambled for power? You've had Loki's hair before, by the way. One of your many hairdos over the years. Marvel found a formula that works. Yes. And has managed to maintain that success over an astonishing number of films by doing two things. One... Getting people to say Marvel found a formula yes. that works, it's a as great we just point. did. Great point. And two, gently yes. tweaking that formula across films and phases so that the DNA that worked is still there, is ever present, yes. but the films and the formula stays fresh. And we should say, just for full clarity, mm-hmm. in case there's any confusion, we're not talking here about Marvel television properties. Right. 
or any films featuring Marvel characters from before the MCU launched or films featuring Marvel comic characters made by other movie studios. We are talking specifically about the MCU films from 2008's Iron Man on, the ones we just named in The King's Road. And those MCU films have functioned in a way that DC and Fox and Sony properties simply have not been able to do in mass. You have the occasional sensation. You know, recently we've had Logan and Wonder Woman and Deadpool, and those films have excelled. But no other studio has been able to sustain the success the way that Marvel has. And that is thanks to the MCU's simultaneously consistent and subtly ever-changing blueprint. And a blueprint cannot work if it doesn't, consistently account for context. And so the MCU template has remained successful because the studio has smartly identified when and how to quietly adjust that formula along the way. So while many of the MCU films have delivered some sort of shift, today we are going to focus on the handful that we think evolved the formula most notably. Yes. And of course, we have not yet had the pleasure of seeing Black Panther. We cannot wait. We're so excited. But from everything we understand from the initial wave of reviews and critical reception, Black Panther amends the formula in the most notable and successful and astonishing fashion yet. And before we can talk about how that formula has evolved to keep the MCU films viable, we have to first Talk about the movie that proved these films could succeed in the first place, and that is the template establishing Iron Man. I am Iron Man. It's the film that started it all, guys. Iron Man. It's also the character that started my victory in the superhero draft. (laughs) We're not here to talk about that. (laughs) I would urge any of you who have not seen this incredible product of our Ringer Film Department to check out the Ringer Superhero Draft, in which Mallory Rubin, spoiler, trounces the field with a truly like cradle to grave strategy and like a manual of stats and strategy that was like an inch thick. It was a color coded spreadsheet, you know? Truly and a trouncing. Like Tony Stark, I had heart. Wow. My mother was in town this past weekend, and my husband Adam made her watch this. She had not seen this, and this is great. It was was she fascinating to watch her watch this? She was really proud, but definitely afraid, definitely concerned. Yeah, (laughs) by the level of competitive spirit, she was as usual totally taken by you and your (laughs) your work as a judge, your quips, completely unbiased. (laughs) Iron Man, yes, holds up well. Actually, watched it this weekend, despite being a decade old. And while Iron Man has these stylistic flourishes that would soon come to be known as the MCU house style, like quippy banter, delivered with maximum charm by Robert Downey Jr., who's truly like one of the most charming human beings like ever. There's a scene in this movie where he just like talks to a robotic arm that has a fire extinguisher on it as if it's a person. And it's so good. Robert Downey Jr., incredible. Anyway, so quippy banter, extreme charm, that bare hint of a wink that, hey, superheroes, they're fun, right? But it's not that serious. And more than anything else, a real dedication to the proposition that comic book characters are themselves fun, and that fun should be translated directly to the screen. I think about the movies that came before Iron Man and the MCU movies, DC movies or any of the X-Men movies. The X-Men movies, all the characters have these black leather suits. And the idea there was superhero costumes are hokey, too colorful, look weird, The MCU is like, no, these are the things that made these characters beloved. We're just going to go with it. We're going to trust that these characters, that there is something worth finding in the way these characters have been presented over the years. Right, and the X-Men films didn't just opt into that decision like and create it from whole cloth. Right. They chose to move away yeah. from something that people loved. You know, the blue and the yellow yes. that you associate as a comic book reader right. with Wolverine, gone. Yeah. Why? Because it seems childish yeah, or silly. Cool isn't part of what people love about comic books, that childlike wonder. That's right. That's really, if you want to talk about what truly the magic sauce is, it's that. Translating comic books directly to the screen in the most direct way. Really great. 
So while it has these elements of what would become the Marvel House style, it's still a pretty traditional comic book movie of the time. We see Tony Stark's evolution from this callow billionaire womanizing arms dealer to a heroic billionaire womanizing dude in a cutting edge metal battlesuit who fights for an ideal larger than himself or even larger than his extremely large bank account. There are a few hints throughout the movie with the exception of the stinger scene, that Iron Man exists in a wider continuity. But these are really no more than like Easter eggs, things that you'd see in comic book movies before, like, you know, a name on a mug or a corporation name tag to let you know that, yeah, maybe there is a wider world out there, but there's no expectation that you would explore those things in previous explorations of comic books and films. The movie is, you know, like all pre- MCU superhero movies, pretty much self-contained. There's an expectation that you would see some sequels, but nothing more than that. Then comes the post-credits stinger scene. And stingers, it's fair love to say- Love a stinger. Love a stinger. Stingers, it's fair to say, were not a part of the pop culture landscape before the MCU made them cool. Right. And now they're an expected part of going to see movies in the summertime. Yes. You can't get out of your seat during the credits. Cannot get out of your seat. I remember seeing Jurassic World and people were like, is there a post-credits? Like, now people pe are let down. People are let a... down if there's not a thing. In the singer of Iron Man, Tony Stark, after admitting to being Iron Man, arrives back at his flagrantly magnificent Malibu mansion to find Nicholas Fury, Sam Jackson, in the first of his many appearances as Marvel's top spy, waiting for him. Fury then delivers what is essentially a mission statement for the coming Marvel Cinematic Universe. Fury says, I am Iron Man. You think you're the only superhero in the world? Mr. Stark, you've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. And Stark says, who the hell are you? <laughs> Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. Dun, 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 dun. And I remember seeing that in the theater and like me and my friends were like, wow, so they're really going to do this. Right. They're going to do this thing. That post credit scene and Iron Man's box office success, never forget the box office success, how crucial that is, yes. allowed Marvel to move forward with five phase one films, three origin stories, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, Captain America, The First Avenger, and one sequel, Iron Man 2, culminating in the ultimate superhero crossover movie, Marvel's The Avengers. And Iron Man was also crucially this instant proof of concept that Marvel as a movie studio could take a hero that people maybe didn't care about. Right. We're not going to say didn't care about it at all. Certainly there were Iron Man fans out there, but who they did not necessarily in mass care about as much as some of the A-listers from the right. comic book world. The X-Men, Batman, Superman, right. and still turn that character into a cinematic superstar. Right. Iron Man was, it bears repeating every time any property yes. of the ringer talks about superhero movies. Like a crazy weird choice. Very, very weird choice. To launch this entire film franchise, but it worked. And the fact that it worked, the fact that, as you noted, that movie made a ton of money and was really well-liked and extremely popular, was a success both critically and financially at the box office, that gave Marvel this kind of instant credibility and this instant liberty to keep trusting whatever instinct led them That's to right. make that choice in the first place and to keep making other bold choices and taking chances because there was that confidence that a chance we took paid off. So That's let's right. take more chances in the future. And that helps keep movies feeling fresh. That's continued. That spirit has continued to be essential to these film success and has kept the MCU viable in a way that it probably wouldn't be oh, if Iron Man hadn't worked. Like if the first note of this experiment Absolutely. is certainly if it's a sour note or a failure, but even if it's just like, eh, this was fine, right. but it wasn't energizing. It wasn't exciting. It didn't leave people saying, I can't wait to find out what that stinger was about. Right. I can't wait to get back into this world and meet more of these characters and understand how Tony Stark and Iron Man fit into this wider universe. Then maybe nothing comes after and maybe other things do come after because if we look at what's happening in dc now you know these movies are consistently with the exception of wonder woman which was widely loved right. consistently like shit upon but they perform well in the box offices and so they keep making them. it's a great point i mean we don't want to make this into like a marvel versus dc thing but it's interesting to contrast the difference in the heroes that they chose. Marvel more because they had to, because those were the ones that were available to them after various rights were sold off here and there throughout the 90s. And DC because they could do all this in-house and, and Warner Brothers had access to the best heroes. Warner Brothers goes right to the top. Batman, Superman, right? These are the creme de la creme of comic book IP. Marvel is like, okay, you know, Iron Man, sure, his most famous arc is arguably Demon in a Bottle when 
he was an alcoholic for three issues. Hulk, the Hulk's most famous arc is like, I guess, Planet Hulk, which turned into Thor Ragnarok, actually. But mm-hmm. like that was fairly recent. Captain America is well known, but was considered kind of like this hokey, like Boy Scout. Thor is just weird. <laughs> <laughs> Hawkeye is a guy with a bone arrow. And they turned this into a powerhouse. Right. With Marvel's The Avengers in 2012, the first evolution of the form. So these characters were, you know, recognizable names, right. for sure, but not A-list characters. These are, you know, B and to be charitable with Hawkeye and Black Widow, C-list characters, maybe maybe lower than C. Right. A-list house flippers, though. It, <laughs> Renner, my guy. I don't want to get on the watch's corner by this talking is, about Renner's This house is big time watch but... corner, but Renner, <laughs> if you need a property, see my guy Jeremy Renner. Since the 80s, really, the X-Men has been the prime Marvel IP, most popular team in Marvel's firmament. So the idea that Marvel and Disney could build a franchise on like a bunch of BNC characters seemed far-fetched. And the idea that it would then be possible to create this like vast interconnected web of franchises starring characters that even regular comics readers would be like, I've never heard of these people, was basically unthinkable until the Avengers proved that there's an appetite and there's a pathway to make this successful. And the strength of the MCU's interlink model is simply it frees films from the tyranny of the origin story. There's nothing more boring, guys. Every time they reboot Batman, right? You got to see that whole thing. With the MCU style, you only have to see that once. You don't have to see that answer. After the Avengers, the reason the Avengers is possible is because you don't have to spend two-thirds of the movie telling you who these people are. The backstories of Iron Man, Cap, Thor, and Hulk were established. Right. Nick Fury, Black Widow, and Hawkeye had made appearances. You knew who these people were. Marvel then could focus on the origins of the team and then build the arcs around these character arcs and emotional beats on bringing the team together, not establishing who these people are. And that's part of the reason why Avengers, even to this day, watched it again last night, just moves really briskly, you know, with enough narrative space and screen time for all of the characters to have like all these fun little story beats. And one of the truly brilliant things about the way the MCU has been constructed is that as a viewer, you can make a choice about how much of it you want to consume. You're going to get the most out of it and have the most clarity and the most narrative continuity and the fewest gaps in your understanding of like the logic of the story if you watch all of them. Yes. Sure. But you don't have to. You don't have to. If you hadn't seen one of those character-specific origin films, you could still watch the Avengers and understand who these people were, why they were interacting, and how it all behaved together. And that's particularly notable because traditionally, often in comics, when you have these massive crossover stories, there's a huge risk that they're going to be hated. More often, they are maligned, not loved. Nothing worse than a bad crossover. Right, because you're dealing with the expectations of so many different fan bases. And the questions are obvious. You know, can you as the creator service all of those characters and thus, by extension, all of those fans? You know, can you make these heroes make sense together? Can you find the balance between creating a movie that functions on its own? Yeah. That honors the stories that came before it and that sets up what's going to come next and that makes use of all of those bodies so that you don't have people who love Hawkeye yeah. or even Thor or whomever sitting there where saying, my Hawkeye stands out there. You know, Chris Ryan, we're looking at you. Where is my favorite hero? Why isn't my character getting into the action enough? The Avengers answered all of those questions pretty heavily in the affirmative, yeah, really which not only showed that it was possible to make this kind of massive crossover a success, but stated pretty clearly, this is the template to follow moving forward, not only for the MCU, but for any other studio that's trying to take a big swing like this. That was one of the most fun times I've had in a movie theater was seeing Marvel's The Avengers in Times Square when it debuted. That place was freaking raucous. Like you couldn't even hear some of the jokes that happened. And when Bruce Banner rides up and goes, that's my secret cap, I'm always angry. And then punches the giant alien fish or whatever it is. The place went freaking insane. It was like, this huge roar. When he grabs Loki around the ankle and flips him around the Hulk, huge laughs. It was really one of the funnest nights that I've ever had in a movie theater. And you're of course going to have some people out there who aren't satisfied. Like you can't make a movie that pleases everyone, certainly not a movie that incorporates that many characters. But it was astonishing that the majority of fans, either people who were opting into these films and didn't care about comics, were able to say, 
I'm into this and I understand totally. this and how this works. Or people who did care about comics and had their favorites were able to say, like, I'm pretty pleased with how this went. That was a genuine surprise and a real sincere achievement. It truly is a structural miracle. And that brings us to Evolution 2, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I, I think, love this movie. I do love it, too. I think it's my favorite of the Marvel movies you thus far. For, I don't know, 30 seconds to minutes about how handsome the Winter Soldier is. <laughs> the Winter Soldier, played by Stan. Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan. Extremely handsome yeah. man. He's been in ice, so he's keeping that youthful look. Somehow is keeping fit. I don't love all of his hair choices over the course of the MCU. Let's be fair to him. He doesn't have a choice in much. Good point. He has his brain like zapped every three weeks and is put back in a tube. Say those code words and he's ready to go. <laughs> I don't know what this says about me, but I would yeah. like to quickly share with you and the listeners Wonderful. that yesterday after an editorial meeting, mm. some comic book chatter surfaced and I was talking with Sean Fennessy, yeah. Ringer, editor-in-chief and host of The Big Picture, an excellent podcast that you should check out. Incredible and podcast. David Shoemaker, art director, yeah. writer. Man about town. Man about town. contour, Host of The Masked Man Show. Co-host of The Press Box. Many excellent podcasts. An expert on comic books in general. Yes. And on many things in Many, life. many, many things And we were chatting yeah. about Black Panther and about Marvel. And I said to them, who do you guys think, if you had to guess, I find most attractive in these movies. And <laughs> Shoemaker quickly guessed Hemsworth, but then kind of retracted it. Oh. You can tell I didn't feel good about the choice. And Sean, right away, Stan, looked into my eyes and said, Stan, Winter Soldier. And he said it in that way, <laughs> that extremely authoritative, but also gentle way that he has. I was really touched, but also concerned that it was that easy to guess that that would be my preferred Marvel villain. Anyway, Winter Soldier, evolution number two. Yeah. So Captain America, the Captain America franchise is... Excellent. It's great. It's probably the most film-to-film -film high quality of the franchise. Is it your favorite? I think this is my favorite Marvel movie yeah. at the moment. And it's the line that is most closely related to the Avengers team-up movies. The franchise from face to on has essentially acted as like a mini Avengers, each film featuring multiple characters from the team, introducing Black Panther and Spider-Man to the MCU. We'll get to that a little bit. And... This franchise does the most, besides the Avengers films, to affect and upend the fictional continuity. The stinger scene for 2011's Captain America, the first Avenger, was a scene directly from Marvel's The Avengers. The scene where Cap, fresh out the ice, is like in this 1940s boxing gym or a boxing gym probably inside a shield facility made up to look like a 40s boxing gym to make him feel comfortable. Getting cut for Jenny Slate. My dude is cut. Yeah. There's always, yeah. like, in every Cap movie, in every Marvel movie in general, there's the beefcake scene, right? Like, Chris Pratt has that scene where he's in the steam bath in the prison and, like, you see the abs. I'm familiar. Yeah. <laughs> and, man, Evans has some of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In Civil War, there's the incredible, like, yeah. four and a half minute scene that is literally just there so he can flex his biceps. Fuck it. Yeah, with he the, holds. the helicopter. I, the, I love the Winter Soldier one where it's like Black Widow and Cap on the run and they're at Falcon's house and he's like making omelets and she's like on the bed and he comes in and he's wearing like the tank top oh, yeah. and you think like, oh shit, it's about to go down up in this. <laughs> Cap, well, meanwhile. What would Peggy say? Cap, like high key a virgin, like has not <laughs> yes. done anything since 1940. For sure. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, it, the stinger scene of the first Captain America acted as a direct propellant towards Marvel's The Avengers, taking a scene directly from it. Who's a better virgin, Captain America or Luke Skywalker? Oh, Captain America. He handles it. Like, Luke at times seems, you know, almost drowning in the angst, this teenage angst. I thought need drowning to... in the blue milk. <laughs> the blue that milk he's the... procuring directly from the creature's bosom because, again, he is a virgin. Meanwhile, Cap is out here. He feels, first of all, extremely comfortable in his own skin, which well, is, yes. You would too. I know. Anyone who looked like that would. Sure. And then also he's got Natasha, a.k.a. Black Widow, one of the top spies for both Russia and America, being like, uh, what about the girl in counting? No? What about, uh, what about the librarian one? What about Agent 13? What, and just like throwing names at him. What about... Sharon Carter. That's right. Peggy Carter's great niece. To, uh, listen. That wouldn't be weird. Strange look. Go for that. Yeah. Weird look. So, and part of the way that Marvel evolved the form specifically with the Captain America films is they use them as 
these kind of experiments with genre filmmaking. The first Avenger was... Brochures for abstinence. Yeah, but by necessity, a World War II film. Winter Soldier, while explicitly a superhero film, of course, was influenced by the political thrillers of the 70s, like Three Days in the Condor and the Parallax View. Casting Robert Redford helped sell this vibe, of course. He starred in Three Days of the Condor, a film about a workaday CIA analyst who stumbles on a vast government conspiracy and is forced to go on the run. Good movie. Is it an actual thriller? Is this an actual thriller? I think it was several steps too far when when Marvel was branding this like a ooh like a paranoid thriller. But mm-hmm. those overtones were there, and sure, it's still a Captain America movie. But there's this air of paranoia that sets it apart totally from basically everything else that occurred in the MCU up until then. Can't believe you're given time to Robert Redford, but not my dude Frank Grillo. <laughs> Frank Grillo <laughs> looks great. Yes, I was deeply in love with him when I was a young child and he was on Guiding Light. Hard Jessup. This is <laughs> I would come home after school. I'm really and I would right watch now. soap operas or when I like, like pretended I to Google be sick. Heart Jessup. Google him right now. Right now. Look at him. I also want to say a thing about Frank Grillo, which was Frank Grillo's like 52. Mm, he looks amazing. And whatever blue milk this guy is drinking. <laughs> I enjoyed his 45 seconds in Civil War. He was a handsome man there. Extremely handsome. Art Jessup. 1996 to 99. I just loved him. (laughs) The film functionally upends the Marvel Cinematic Universe's existing reality. S.H.I.E.L.D., the security and intelligence service led by Nick Fury, which had assembled the Avengers, is revealed to be in large part, a Hydra slash Nazi conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Steve learns that Arnim Zola, the Swiss Nazi Hydra scientist who worked closely with the Red Skull in the first movie, is among S.H.I.E.L.D.'s most influential figures. And it's a high key, a brave choice. Like, it really is a brave choice to be like, all that stuff you thought is actually, no, that's all bad. These are all Nazis. They just basically overturned the table. To take one of the organizing forces of its fictionalized universe and make it ultimately something evil is really a wild choice but it's also essential yes because if every movie just replicates the template that's right then any one of them in a vacuum you could say this is a success because it has all of the ingredients that made all these other things that follow this exact template a success but if nothing ever changes then the people who are consuming the mcu at large the people who hear our spoiler warning and say right i've seen all 17 of these i'm good right are gonna start to get bored because no matter how well it works for the two and a half hours that you're watching that movie, you're going to be thinking about how this part fits into the whole. And you need to evolve. That's why we're talking about evolution as the thing that has allowed us to keep working. And so saying the thing that you think you know about the good guys and the bad guys and how all of that connects and who these people are and what the things that they're fighting for even represent, like we're going to ask you to reconsider that. And in the process of reconsidering that, you as a viewer are hopefully going to reinvest because you really feel genuinely that there's going to be something new for you to discover about how these stories are being told and about what the stories are even actually about in the first place. That's exciting. That's a great point. And so this movie ends with Shield in Ruins, Winter Soldier, your guy, Sebastian Stan and Nick Fury in hiding. Captain America and Black Widow under a pall of suspicion. Superhero movies, of course, are fairly called formulaic. Marvel's formula is something like one part trust that what made its characters beloved in the comics can be translated to the screen, one part humor, and one part unambiguous PG-rated heroes versus villains spectacle. But one measure of Marvel's confidence in its evolving brand was its willingness to shake up a shared story in ways that affected multiple film franchises. Like the decision to make S.H.I.E.L.D. bad ripples across the entire universe when you decide to create these interconnected stories. And another more obvious measure of Marvel's growing confidence is Evolution 3, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Ant-Man. Ah, Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. (laughs) If Captain America, Iron Man, the Hulk, Thor, Black Widow, and Hawkeye, characters like that were considered like B, C-list, the Guardians of the Galaxy were what is the lowest letter in the alphabet? Z? I mean, they were loved by the people who loved them, but they were not widely known. Not widely known. And Marvel Comics' cosmic stories, some of the most widely loved by enthusiasts like you and David Shoemaker and others out yeah. there of the last 15 or so years. But the characters who are a part of those arcs aren't necessarily particularly well-known to regular 
comic book readers or certainly to moviegoers who have decided to consume yes. comic book stories but have not necessarily read the canon. Star-Lord, Gamora, Groot of any variety. Yeah. <laughs> Rocket Raccoon, Drax. These were niche characters. Niche. Extremely niche. Best. So this movie, making this movie, just the choice to make it. We're not even going to talk yet about what a sensation it was, but yeah. just the choice to make it an incredible, it really incredible flex by Marvel, by the MCU, and a really important illustration of the kind of evolution we're discussing. Because on the one hand, sure, it is kind of a classic origin story. Right. It is telling us, the viewer, the person consuming the story, how these people... yes began to occupy these roles as heroes. How did they become the Guardians of the Galaxy? Barely any connections to the ongoing tales through phases one and two of the overall MCU. But Guardians would not have been possible without the industry-changing success of the other films in the MCU. And that success built the Marvel brand. And you have made this point before. You and Shoemaker and Sean talked about this in the episode of The Big Picture that you did during the Ringer's Superhero Week. And if you guys are interested in consuming more superhero stuff, you should go back and listen to that and check out everything we did that week. You made the point then that is worth revisiting now, which is the gamble with Guardians paid off. And that gamble was the brand, the Marvel brand is the actual star. Right. It doesn't matter. That's exactly right. Who the actual heroes are, which comic book characters the film is built around, that DNA, that formula, that template, that is the thing that people are paying to see, and that is the thing that is keeping them engaged. Yes. And that's attractive to non hardcore comic fans who maybe felt, hey, here's my chance to jump in on the ground level with the rest of the world and something that's been going on, right? Yeah. I think that's like a really interesting thing to consider because it's not necessarily about sheer volume like how many numbers of issues are there for iron man or thor or the guardians of the galaxy how far behind am i on a, a given narrative it's not necessarily just a numbers game but there is just this sense this unavoidable sense as a person in the world that if you haven't read the comics you're maybe a little bit behind or you're not participating in the conversation the same way that people who have read these stories for their entire lives and love them and are so fluent and can reference a specific arc by name and the person they're talking to knows the issue number. Like, that's just a different thing. That's a different caliber of fandom. And I think that for the Guardians, for a lot of people was a chance for them to say, it's okay that I don't have that. It's okay that I don't have that history with these characters because really for the first time, like a lot of other people also don't have that history with the characters. And we can kind of discover them together. And one of the things that, you know, we talk about a lot with like Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and some of the other bits of monoculture that are increasingly rare is that the thing that makes it, one of the things that makes those stories so special to us and to a lot of other people is that you're sharing them together. It's this shared experience with other people who have the same interests and passions as you. And Guardians, certainly to a lesser degree and on a smaller scale, it did feel like that. It felt like a lot of people were discovering something new, at least to them, together and getting to enjoy it together. And that's a really cool feeling. That's a part of what makes fandom special. Ant-Man. Ant-Man, another flex by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Here's an interesting thing about Ant-Man. The character name, Ant-Man, is pretty bad. It's pretty lame, guys. Listen, I went to Syracuse University. Go orange. Let me tell you that nothing instills fear in the heart of the opponent. (laughs) The citrus fruit. (laughs) Citrus fruit. Yeah. Color. Delicious, though. Otto, the orange. Very safe. Safe color. An adorable mascot. Yeah. And so I I really relate to Ant-Man's burden of having a name that just doesn't sound intimidating and cool. So Ant-Man, bad name, based on an insect that is like, listen, it's lauded and stuff, but it's not like an intimidating or cool insect. What would you, okay. Yeah. Put on your rebranding hat. What would you name this character with this tech and these- Size man. That makes me Mr. think of Mr. Shrink. Makes me think of Grady Sizemore in the yeah. infamous SI Sizemore Matters cover that I was always such a fan of in my youth. So that's his power. Ant-Man's power is uh, the ability to shrink to the size of an ant and actually much smaller than that while retaining his proportional human strength. 
How many superpowers would you have to go through before you chose that as the superpower you'd want? Like people are all at the time are like, would you want to fly? Yes. What if you could read minds? Yes. Great. Give me invisibility. Ooh. Give me that invisibility cloak. You can get a lot done with the invisibility <laughs> I would fly. I would love to try. There's a lot of stuff that is possible to you. Super strength. It's pretty good. Super, super sight. Telekinesis. Healing factor is great. Healing is a beautiful gift. I think we could probably, if we had the time, get into the triple digits yes. before we hit shrink. Make me small. <laughs> make me make me even smaller, <laughs> and or, I can talk to or, ants. Or if we're we're you know thinking about civil war, make me bigger. Yes, and then there's furthermore. MCU decided to base his character on ex thief Scott Lang instead of the pointedly problematic in the comics Hank Pym, one of the geniuses in the Marvel Comics universe. Hank appears in the movie; he's just aged. It meant effectively that you're taking a movie of a not-that-cool character and you're basing it actually on the less notable of the people who have worn the suit, which is interesting because all that worked. MCU's house style proved really the perfect vehicle for a character that was kind of had a lame name and a weird power set and rides ants to and from <laughs> missions. They yeah. just were like, let's lean into the weirdness. Here's the scene when the aged Hank Pym convinces Scott Lang to break into an Avengers facility to steal something. Pym, I spent half my life trying to keep this technology out of the hands of a Stark. I'm sure as hell not going to hand deliver it to one now. This is not some cute technology like the Iron Man suit. This could change the texture of reality. Besides, they're probably too busy dropping cities out of the sky. And Lang says, okay, then why don't you just send the ants? And Pym says, Scott, they're ants. <laughs> <laughs> and then the following scene when Scott introduces himself to Falcon as he's trying to break into this facility. Scott says, first off, big fan. And Falcon goes, appreciate it. So who the hell are you? Scott, I'm Ant-Man. And Falcon, very incredulously, Ant-Man? <laughs> Scott's like, what, you haven't heard of me? And then it, later again, when Scott has his showdown with the standard origin story villain, Yellow Jacket, Yellow Jacket says, you think you can stop the future? You're just a thief. And Scott says, no, I'm Ant-Man. And then Yellow Jacket's like, what? And he goes, yeah, I know. It wasn't my idea. And this is actually a theme throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe of characters in this self-aware way being like, yeah, the name's kind of silly, but you know what? We don't care. And I love how that specific way that they approach the character name and the character origin filters down to his personality and yes. how he conducts himself. And we see a lot of that in Civil War yes. when Ant-Man shows up and is like, whoa, yeah, I know you. Yeah. I know you. And it's just, he's just fanboying. And then later on in the film, in the prison scene, when Iron Man, when Tony Stark shows up and he's having like a long and painful exchange with Hawkeye and then ultimately a long and very meaningful and crucial in terms of setting up the climax of the film exchange with Falcon. And in between that, Ant-Man tries to insert himself yes. into the conversation and Tony just shuts him <laughs> down. Is like, you're Ant-Man. You don't get to participate yes. in this conversation. You're Ant-Man, dude. It's actually important that the films allow for those love moments that. because it, it would be absurd, actually, to yes. elevate him instantly to the same right. level as these more iconic and famous characters who have been in the movies yes. working together for all this time. Like Those little details and the way that the films account for how these characters would actually behave is really important. And that also gets to another thing that is true about the MCU as a whole, but is pretty notable with Ant-Man and Guardians 1 in particular. They're funny. They're really funny. Guardians is like an extremely amusing, yes. laugh-inducing movie. And that just gets back to one of the points that you were making earlier, which is these movies should be fun. They should be fun. They yes. can be dark. They Absolutely. can be serious. But one of the things that undeniably that Marvel has excelled at and DC has not is levity, yeah. humor. And now, sure, there's still plenty of city-smashing, yes. city-destroying arcs, and that is acknowledged head-on in Civil War. But there is also a lot of flair and oddity and yeah. bright colors and weird moments and charismatic exchanges. And those give these movies life and energy and allow you as the viewer to kind of latch onto these characters in a way that you would with a great character in a, in a book that you're reading or a comic that you're reading. It feels more true to form for a story where you invest in these people and their lives because they feel real. Totally. Even though they have superpowers, they feel real. That brings us to Evolution 4, Captain America's Civil War. Time to Another tear our here. I, I love this The one Captain too. America movies are good. They are very they good. They are really good. Here's a problem in any serialized stories, particularly comic book stories. What do you do with the villain? Yes. How do you address the problem of the villain, both narratively and structurally? In order for a superhero story to be satisfying, right? Mm -hmm. The antagonist has to be defeated. 
Therefore, got to get a fresh supply of villains in there. We need more villains all the time. How do you sustain that through multiple movies, multiple crossovers? Captain America Civil War, first movie in Marvel's Phase 3, solves for the villain problem by having the heroes fight it out amongst themselves. Classic comic book stuff. In the comics, the superheroes who would become the Avengers first joined forces to deal with the Hulk, then being used by Loki as a pawn in the first Avengers movie. We forget about this kind of now. It seems so normal, but most of the action in the first two acts of that film is hero and hero. Iron Man versus Thor versus Captain America, Hulk versus Thor, Black Widow versus Hawkeye. It made sense then to blow up these tensions and make an entire movie out of it. And the argument which leads to the break is how to balance security against freedom. Right After multiple near-world-destroying events, right. all involving the Avengers, either as a team or as individuals, it makes sense that the world's governments would feel threatened by a team of enhanced individuals who all seem to live in America. Secretary of State Ross says, The world owes the Avengers an unpayable debt. You have fought for us, protected us, risked your lives. But while a great many people see you as heroes, there are some who would prefer the word vigilantes, and Blackwood mm-hmm. says. And what word would you use, Mrs. Secretary? How about Dangerous. What would you call a group of U.S.-based enhanced individuals who routinely ignore sovereign borders and inflict their will wherever they choose and who, frankly, seem to unconcerned with what they leave behind? And then Ross shows pictures of the devastation that these heroes have left behind in, in their defense of Earth. And Ross continues, for the past four years, you've operated with unlimited power and no supervision. That's an arrangement the governments of the world can no longer tolerate. And this had a meta quality to it that really did. also mattered for viewers because it is ultimately important for, we talked earlier about like how the formula has to account for context. And part of that is when these movies are actually entering the world, what right. is happening in people's lives as they sit down to watch these movies? And so the choice for this film to account for some real life corollaries matter. You know, what are the costs of the actions of people in power. What is the ripple effect of a fighting force, whether that fighting force is government-run, yes. like an actual country's military, or Avenger-run, yes, made up of superheroes, going into another city or country, another culture, another sphere of life, just because it thinks it can or thinks it should. Again, from everything we understand, Black Panther is really an unrivaled achievement in the Marvel and superhero canon in terms of how it, as a fictional story, grapples with and addresses and accounts for real-life forces. And we will talk more about Black Panther, which by all reports is already regarded as the best MCU movie ever. Many people are saying this. We will see it soon. We will talk about that next week on Binge Mode Weekly. Another character that's introduced in Civil War is Spider-Man, Marvel's most iconic character whose film rights are owned by Sony. And it's worth recalling that the reason the MCU was based on the characters it was based on was that all the rest of the Marvel heroes were taken by other studios. But by 2017, all of a sudden, Marvel is so dominant in the space that another company is willing to be like, hey, we can't do anything with this right. guy. Just take him. Just we take, know that yeah, you can like, do this better than we can. Let's split the money. You can do it better and like do something with it. And it's worth also noting that Sony had just rebooted the franchise with Andrew Garfield right. and was looking to create more sequels and their own expanded universe within like a Spider-Man universe and basically just called an audible and we're like, ah. Just very, 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 very quickly. Point you made earlier about the villains and superhero films needing to give you the satisfaction of saying, like, we got that guy. One of the MCU's truest achievements is simultaneously doing that, introducing new villains on a per-film basis and saying, you know, what is one of the things that people love so much about Batman? The villains. All of the different villains that you're going to get to cycle through and you're going to spend time with the Joker and you're going to spend time with the Penguin and Two-Face give you, hopefully a set of villains that you can invest in that much. But not just make it film by film. Also have this ever-present looming specter of doom from a couple characters who aren't going to go away. You know, Loki, Thanos, these guys that you actually do have to worry about across the sub-franchises. That's a pretty impressive balance. I agree with that. The Night King, when's he coming? (laughs) That brings us to Evolution 5, Thor Ragnarok. Short hair Thor. Short hair Thor. Short hair Thor. One eye Thor. Love short hair Thor. (laughs) Short hair, one eye Thor. Love a Hemsworth. This is the movie that unites- Who's your favorite Hemsworth? Chris, like not even close. Like it's Chris and then it's like 
500 slots and then the younger Hemsworth who dated Miley Cyrus and then the other one in Westworld. The Westworld one. Who is a handsome guy in a vacuum, good looking man, but got none of like the ambient Hemsworth genes that seem to all go to the other two. I'm team PETA over team Gale when it comes to talking Hunger Games. Yeah. But I'm team Liam. Team Liam. Yeah. Over team Chris. Wow. Give me your Liam pitch. It's just extremely good looking. I like the dark hair. It's like Coke classic to me. Give me Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) Ragnarok is the movie that unites Marvel's earthly IP with its cosmic IP. And it's also like so laden with jokes. I was talking about this with Sean earlier. It's a movie that's like has so many jokes. The first time you see it, it takes you out of it. I, I watched it in the theater. Very funny movie. Where did you watch it next? Well, see what happened was I saw it in the theater uh-huh. when it came out. Yeah. And then you know how it is yeah. when a movie is just out and you want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. It's like, sure. do I want to go all the way back to the theater, spend 20 bucks or whatever, plus right. the nachos, all that stuff. And mm-hmm. just because I want to remember Scene or Alliance. So I was like, I went on the internet as one does to sure. find a stream of a cam yeah. as those exist. What you website know, did you go on? I searched Thor Ragnarok 2017 uh-huh. cam. Sure. And it brought me to Pornhub where I watched Thor Ragnarok, a Thor Ragnarok cam stream on uh, Pornhub, which is a website. Is Google using some sort of algorithm of your most frequently visited visited websites to recommend that link to you? I use other ones, not Pornhub. (laughs) There's better ones at Pornhub, guys. It's just an incredibly funny movie. Like the opening scene is Thor chained to a ceiling, swinging like in, in this ball of misery in this chain. And he's kind of slowly rotating in a circle and he's being addressed by the archdemon Surtur. And Thor says, you know, it's funny uh, you should mention, and Surtur was talking about Ragnarok and apocalypses and stuff. And Thor says, you know, it's funny you should mention that because I've been having these terrible dreams of late. Asgard up in flames, falling to ruins. And you, Surtur, the center of all of it. And Surtur says, then you have seen Ragnarok, the fall of Asgard, the great prophecy. And Thor... His face rotates away, so now his back is to Surtur. He goes, oh, hang on, hang on. I'll be back around shortly. You know, I, I really feel like we were connecting there. Now, okay, Ragnarok, tell me about that. Walk me through it. And Surtur's like, <laughs> like, my time has come when my crown is reunited with the eternal flame. I shall be restored to my full might and will tower over the mountains to bury my sword deep into Asgard. And Thor rotates around again. Oh, give me a second. I swear I'm not even moving. It's doing this all on its own. And this is like the kind of stuff that happens all throughout the movies. Joke, 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 joke. Really funny. Also, Thor Ragnarok sort of proof that you should probably never give up on a Marvel property yeah. succeeding because, yes, you know, a great point. just like, so Ant-Man was really the one where yes. people said, you know, we talked about how Guardians, eh, what is yeah. this? Who are these guys? Ant-Man was one where the narrative before the movie came out was, this will be the one that fits. Right, this is the one. This will be the one that people Ant-Man don't the invest in. People are saying that now. They are saying Ant-Man. that now. Thor Ragnarok, people just like, weren't talking about it that much in advance because the first two Thor films are not as widely loved as the Iron Man or Captain America arcs. They just aren't. And so for this to now be one of the most cherished MCU films to have been such an instant sensation and to have now elevated Thor back into top level you need to care about this guy and his movies, not just his role in other people's movies, status is a big deal. Huge Big deal. And so, of course, the end of that movie sees Thor now with one eye, short hair, uniting with Teen Groot, Rocket Raccoon, Abs Pratt, and all the rest of the guys, Guardians of the Galaxy. Now we have Thor from Asgard, his buddy the Hulk, also in space, and now united with the Guardians of the Galaxy, propelling us to Infinity War coming this May. And we're all looking forward to seeing Black Panther and seeing how it further evolves the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Life is too short for bad food, for mediocre delivery, for settling for what they're slinging down the street. You're hungry for something better? I'm hungry. Let caviar deliver. Do it. Caviar brings you quality eats like Suvla in San Francisco. Toki Underground in Washington, D.C., Momofuko in New York, or John and Vinny's in L.A., baby. I'm talking mm. delicious yes. meals delivered from the best local restaurants. And I can tell you personally that that John and Vinny's reco that Jason just made is legit because I order John and Vinny's on caviar literally every week. I would say you order it at least 
1.5 times a week. Yes, because I often do brunch yes. as well as dinner. Delicious. You'll find exactly what you're craving, and Caviar delivers it all right to your door. It's food you want to feed your family. Yes. Your friends. Yes. Your coworkers. Uh, yourself. Yes. So get the Caviar app or order Already online at trycaviar.com. Try Caviar today and pay no delivery None. fee on your first what? order. Yes, it's true. Plus, Unbelievable. Plus, take $10 off your first order of $30 or more with the code Ooh. BINGE10. Valid until March 31st. 2018. Caviar delivers to the office, too. If you're working through lunch, planning a big meeting or event, let Caviar cater. Don't mind if I do. Use the GPS tracking and watch your order as it approaches your office, as I do constantly when using this app. Caviar is the way, the way, yes, to get the quality food you want from your favorite restaurant. And remember, pay no delivery free on your first Caviar order. Plus, Take $10 off your first order of $30 or more with the code BINGE10 at TryCaviar.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Microsoft Surface. When looking for a laptop, why not consider one with a powerful processor? The new Surface Pro is built for speed and has a battery that lasts all day. So you can play up to 13.5 hours of video without needing a charge. Say hello to getting more done and having a great time doing it. The Surface Pro is light enough to go anywhere you want with options for a removable keyboard in lots of new colors. Love that. It's touchscreen display response to your fingertips with great resolution too. And it also works with your iPhone. The new Surface Pro is the lightest, most powerful Surface Pro ever. ever. And now, back to binge mode. Yes. Jason! Yes? Big man in a suit of armor. Take that off. What are you? Genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, macer. Well, Maester. Yes. The MCU, recency bias aside, is not the first thing that Marvel has ever done. So, please put on that armor, assemble the conclave, and head to the Citadel and Stark Tower to teach us everything we need to know about the comics that inspired these films. Yes, let's briefly touch on those comics. First, we have to mention the Ultimates 1 and 2 that came out between 2002 and 2007. The Ultimates was part of the Ultimate Marvel Universe, which was Marvel's attempt to kind of like reboot its universe without affecting its standard continuity. So what did they do? They broke off some of their more iconic characters, Spider-Man, the X-Men, various Avengers, and they updated them for the modern day. Hey, what if Tony Stark became Iron Man in a time when there were computers and cell phones? One and two are incredible. Really great Brian Hitch's art is like some of the most striking stuff you've like literally ever seen. There are splash pages in Ultimates 2 that will like take your breath away. Great stuff. Civil War from 2006. This was obviously the inspiration for Captain America's Civil War. The various heroes of the Marvel Universe were torn apart because the government says, hey, guys, it's time to regulate you guys because of an event that happened in Connecticut that took the lives of many civilians. Winter Soldier. Ah, this is a thing that had been said about comics before Winter Soldier was, in comics, everybody comes back to life except Uncle Ben and Bucky. Take Bucky off the list, guys, because Ed Brubaker, who wrote the arc, brought Bucky back from the dead as the shadowy and somewhat brain-damaged Russian spy-slash-assassin, the Winter Soldier. It's a rude way to talk about my boyfriend. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. A lot of their early arcs and the details from the movie you'll find in Annihilation Conquest, which was a cosmic crossover and the sequel to Annihilation. This is from 2007. Not even really a hot take. Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest, for me, are my favorite Marvel crossovers of the last like, 10, 15 years. Simply because like, when you do stuff in cosmic, it doesn't affect the wider continuity. It's, it's kind of a cheat because you can like destroy entire galaxies up there in space and it doesn't affect anything that happens with Spider-Man. Great read. I think there's an omnibus edition for Annihilation Conquest and you should check it out. It's really good. Thor Ragnarok is partially based on Planet Hulk, heavily based on Planet Hulk. Planet Hulk is, is probably the best single Hulk arc in comics history. Basically, the heroes of Earth have had enough of the Hulk Bruce Banner getting mad, turning into the Hulk and like destroying whole cities and then like coming back to his senses and being like, whoops, sorry, guys. So they trick him into getting into a space capsule and they launch it into space <laughs> and he lands on a planet, Sakaar, where he becomes a great gladiator and eventually leads a revolution that topples the government of Sakaar. Mal, Jason always angry. I know. 
We're the same, you and I. Just a couple of hot-headed fools. Yeah, same. Jason like fire. Man like water. Like the water we use to bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of our seven favorite post-credit scenes from the Marvel films. Still lightning around style. I'll go first. Number one, Iron Man. Mentioned above. Tony Stark comes home, arm in a sling. It's nighttime. Jarvis, his home AI computer system is like fritzing out. It's like, what's going on? Turn on the lights. He can't because Nick Fury has disabled them. And he says, I need you to join the Avengers initiative. My guy, Tony Stark, let's do this. Number two, Captain America Civil War. My boy Bucky Ah. putting himself back on ice. Doesn't trust himself. Doesn't feel like he's safe. They just need a couple code words. They just need to say freight car and then a couple other things. In Russian, though. Sure. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He just runs around punching it's people. True. But he remembers it all. That's right. So in this post credit scene where Bucky is going back on ice, we get a delightful tease for Black Panther. We see Captain America yep. and we see Black Panther having the conversation and when Captain America says, you know, if they find out he's here, they'll come for him. And T'Challa says, let them try. And then the camera pans out and we see a glimpse of Wakanda. It is pretty thrilling. It and of course, great. some of this now is colored by the early unrivaled enthusiasm for Black unrivaled. Panther. The reviews are exceptional. People wait. are saying that this is not only an incredible Marvel film and not only an incredible superhero film, but wait. an incredible film, period. And so, you know, rewatching these movies to prep for this podcast, seeing that teaser, it was really exciting. Was I was really like, let's cool. go. Let's go to Wakanda. Let's do this. Number three, the Avengers, the shawarma scene. Mm. This is great because, you know, all the phase one stingers were essentially, hey, Avengers, we're going to Avengers. We're going to Avengers. We're leading us to the Avengers. Now we're here, the Avengers. What do they do? Call back to a joke from earlier in the movie. And Tony Stark's like, I just saw a shawarma place. Is it still open? And then what do you see? post credit scene? There they are eating shawarma in a kind of like post-battle days. Very quiet. Very quiet. They just fought aliens. I like that moment because it's like superheroes. They're just like us. Yeah, they're hungry. For, hungry hungry for and not always meats. up for a conversation. <laughs> Number four. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, My dude. The Grootster. Baby Groot. You love a baby Groot. Dancing. Swaying. Yeah. And this is particularly delightful because Groot is really one of the breakout stars of Truly. Guardians 1. And he sacrifices himself beautifully for his comrades. You know, puts his limbs, his he roots, does. his branches around them with this protective cocoon and sacrifices himself. And much like a phoenix, he is born like anew, a darling little sapling swaying yes, right. in his soil pot. And it's just really charming and sweet. And it's a nice little note to end on because it's this character who you've really kind of amazingly invested in emotionally in a very short span of time. You're like, all right, he's fine. He's going to be okay. My dude is back. He's ready to party. Let's go. Number five, Iron Man 2. We see Thor's hammer for the first time. Agent Phil Coulson drives out to the New Mexico desert. He's on his cell phone. He's like, yeah, I found it. It's here. The thing, the hammer thing. We don't know what it is, but it's crazy. We can't get it out of the ground. Dun, dun, dun. You see like this facility being built around Thor's hammer that's sticking out of the ground. One of the most iconic right. images from Marvel Comics, Thor's hammer. And you haven't actually gotten Thor. It's great. In these films yet. So it's like this instant promise that is very exciting. Number six, Captain America, Winter Soldier, the twins. Ah, Scarlet Witch. Quicksilver. Closer than twins? Maybe, maybe so. This is a creepy stinger. Way it's creepy. very sinister. It's very dark. There's this heavy yeah. specter of evil and these things that you as a viewer do not understand. What are they doing with the scepter? What are they doing with the Infinity Stone? What kind of horrors are they prepared to yes. unleash? You know, there's this line. There's nothing more horrifying than a miracle. You know, the idea that a miracle like the twins could yeah. be turned into a weapon sets up this really interesting villain turned hero arc for those characters. Obviously, Scarlet Witch is 
an increasingly important character in these films. And it's just really cool. You see Quicksilver like throwing himself against the walls of his cell and it's scary and weird and they look like very emo. And it's just like, let's go. Let's get some new characters and let's do this. And number seven, Spider-Man Homecoming, Captain America's PSA about patience is actually like very funny and the most meta stinger. Captain America says, sometimes patience is the key to victory. Sometimes it leads to very little and it seems like it's not worth it. And you wonder... Why you waited so long for something so disappointing? How many more of these? I love that. (laughs) How many more of these is definitely a very funny way to the audience. (laughs) Really, really, really funny. Jason? Yes. Enough. You are. All of you. Beneath me. I am a god. You dull creature. And I will not be bullied by. (laughs) Puny God. You know, when I saw that in theater, crowd went so crazy, I couldn't hear Puny God. Puny God is great. Great line. Every episode, we're going to honor our own Puny Gods, the person or idea that compelled us the most. And this week, we are awarding our champion's purse paid out in Hulk smashes to the true God of the MCU. Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige, if there's one person more than any other who is responsible for bringing this vision to life in theaters and in a way that's really reshaped the way we think about the movie industry, and it's, it's got to be Kevin Feige, producer of these films. Head every of, single film. Every single film, head of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is essentially like the touchstone person who coordinates the creatives, makes sure that house style stays intact, makes sure everything works in terms of the continuity with the films, makes sure the characters contain that bit of essence from the comic books that made them who they are. Really like one of the most important figures in movie making today. And not a lot of people know who he is yeah. or how important he's been for the franchise or even that there has been one consistent driving force behind yeah. all of these movies. And once you start to understand that, you have a, a better feel for how they have been able to achieve this consistent and yet ever-changing and subtle fashion formula that has allowed these movies to remain viable. So, shouts to you, Kevin. Well, friends, you just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. Wish we could. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you are as excited as we are for Binge Mode Harry Potter this spring. And obviously, we hope that you will join us next week. Yes. When we will, like everyone else in the world, be talking about Black Panther. Until then, if you're worried about anything you hear today on this podcast, just remember, we know each other. (laughs) He's a friend from work. For all of you out there within the sound of my voice, I'm wearing a uh, shirt with the face of Magneto on it. It says, Magneto was right. And you know what? Magneto was right. The Sentinels were a government program. That same government that Steve Rogers and Iron Man and the Avengers protected built the Sentinels. So you know what? Magneto was right, guys. Today's show was brought to you by Mac Weldon. Whatever you're wearing right now, Mac Weldon is better. You're damn right. Mac Weldon is a men's essential brand that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience. They even have a line of silver underwear Ooh. Ooh. and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, yes. which means they eliminate that unpleasant odor. And kill werewolves. They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it. That's right. You wore it, you keep it. And they will still refund you. No questions asked. No questions. What have you been doing with that underwear? About don't your care. used underwear. So... Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code BINGEMODE. 